All right, go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in John chapter 10. I'm going to look, we're just going to spend a little bit of time in John 10, um, 1 through 21 is the text tonight. And we're calling this the Shepherd King, as you'll see why. And I want to read that. We're going to just dive into explaining it and pull out some implications. And then as, as is always the case, we'll talk a little bit afterwards if you have questions or comments um, or, or things of that nature. So John 10, verse 1, these are the words of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, pu- when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Let's pray. Our Father and gracious God, we glorify you tonight for having having established your Son as our great Shepherd King. We are eternally thankful that as his sheep, we hear his voice. We rest in his great sacrifice in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So it's always just kind of a pro tip up front. It's always important to, whenever you're reading the Bible, to keep in mind the biblical context of what is being said. Um, This is especially true when we look at the words of Jesus. If we don't have in front of us the biblical themes that Jesus pulls from, when reading the Gospels, then we won't understand what he's trying to get at. The passage before us is language Jesus takes from the Old Testament, and it's all over the Old Testament. Um, language from David in the Psalms, um, language from Ezekiel, more specifically Ezekiel 34, which was just read. Ezekiel 34 tells us uh, about God who brings judgment to Israel because Israel's shepherds, the leaders themselves, 
They have done nothing to care for God's people and everything to take care of themselves. Now, this is a great prophetic text for the state of the church today. When you think about what, what role do leaders have in a community and are they serving? Are they, um, are they feeding, if you will? Are they centered thing, centering things on the scriptures and the kingdom and so forth? So they had to make sure, these were the religious leaders back then of Ezekiel 34, they had made sure that they were full while everyone else had gone hungry. They were not good shepherds, they were hirelings. Because of the wholesale breakdown in leadership then, God would bring judgment against the leaders and bring the sheep to himself. So what was just read is a key text, and Jesus no doubt had this in mind, but Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24 says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's Jesus. He's the son of David. Now, one thing that we learn from the Bible is that being a shepherd and being a king are ultimately two concepts that are tied together. Psalm 23.1 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 80, verse 1. Some of the homeschool kiddos learned that, by the way, didn't you? You guys remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, that, that's what Jesus is talking about here, um, being the good shepherd. Psalm 80, verse 1, tells us that God is the shepherd of Israel. Um, Psalm 100, verse 3 says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 40, verse 11, proclaims this about God. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. An ewe is um, not something that's gross. Well, I guess it could be, but an ewe is a female sheep. So Mark then, he tells us in Mark chapter 6, Verse 34, that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of Jesus. He sees sheep and they don't have anybody to lead them because the leaders are corrupt. He, he sees it and he calls it for what it is. Now what's abundantly clear is that this parable, which isn't really a parable in the normal sense usually, it's an enigmatic statement, no doubt, it's... Um, more attuned with um, a metaphorical story than so much the genre of parable. But anyway, the parable itself is evoking imagery that any first century Jew would have understood. You would have listened to Jesus say this stuff about the shepherd and the thieves and the hirelings, and they would have known immediately. He's not simply drawing on the rural world of, of first century Palestine. He's drawing on Old Testament theology using first, first century imagery, and even Old Testament imagery at that. So Jesus, he basically draws on this long history of Jewish concepts about sheep and shepherds, and he connects those ideas to what he himself is doing as the new David. Jesus is not totally unaware of the fact that his great-great-granddaddy was David. He, he, he is very well up to speed on those things. In fact, Matthew and Luke give us the genealogy Luke goes, I believe it's Luke, goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham. And that could be backwards, but I don't remember off the top of my head. 
But in verse 11, he's basically claiming to be the good shepherd, and that is a claim to true kingship. So when Israel would have heard somebody talk about being a shepherd, they would have immediately thought, this man is a king. He's claiming to be a king. So let's consider the text. We'll just navigate some things. And I want you to keep in mind the context. But we're going to start at the very end. Look at verse 21. Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? That's a key. When you're reading your Bible, that's a key to tell you what in the world we're talking about. The healing of the blind man, remember we looked at that last week, is still the context of the discussion. Verses 1 through 21 are simply further explanations from, from Jesus. He's still talking to the religious leaders. So what do we learn here about Jesus? Well, to start, you can look at the first few verses there. Entering the sheepfold happens one of two ways. You either go through the door or you climb the wall. <laughs> you either go through the door or you climb the wall. Um, and so kids, just so you know what we're talking about, and adults for that matter, <laughs> sheep at night, when you're out in the pasture at night, they were kept in a stone corral. Basically, it's a, this corral that was made of stones and would have been probably round or at least maybe even egg-shaped or um, there would have been multiple shapes to it. And the rocks were piled in such a way that hopefully they would keep animals out. But it was made of stone. And there was always one door at the very front of it. And that was the only way in. And you wouldn't climb to try to climb the wall because that would be dumb because you go through the door if you're the shepherd. That's kind of how it works. Um, so there's in the, there, Jesus says there's only two options here. There's only two options. In other words, to get into the corral that is the sheep of Israel, you either go through the door, remember he's the door, or you go over the wall. If one climbs the wall, Jesus says in verse 1, if you climb the wall, then you're a thief and a robber. Usually thieves don't knock on the door to get in the house. They try another way. That's kind of how it works. In verse 2, he says that the one who enters by the door, he's the shepherd of the sheep. He's the shepherd of the sheep. When the shepherd comes to the door, the porter, the, um, the guard, if you will, opens the door for the shepherd. And as is the case even today, sheep respond to their master's voice. Sheep respond to their master's voice. They don't so much respond to smell primarily as they do, though, hearing the voice of the shepherd. In fact, if you took two shepherds with two different flocks, pulled them all into the same pasture, mixed them up as much as you could, and then each of the shepherd would call to their sheep, the sheep would actually go and follow the right shepherd. Um, that's just the way they're designed. They know the voice of, of who belongs to. They know the voice and they know it well. So in order to lead the sheep, then, that he must be a familiar voice. And then, of course, in verse 3 and 4, they follow then. That's just how the process works. They won't follow a stranger. In fact, in verse 5, he says they will run away from a stranger. Okay? So if you've ever um, seen a sheep at a fair or something and they get a little unruly with you, you're not familiar to them. They don't recognize your voice. It's more about your voice than it is your smell or your stature, if you will. Now, at this point, we're talking about the blind man who can now see. Keep that in mind. And thus, this blind man not only sees physically, he can now hear the voice of his shepherd, 
When God regenerates a person, they can hear the voice of the shepherd. They know his voice. The blind man can see, and now he can hear too. And the religious leaders, Jesus is saying, they're the, they're the thieves, and they're the robbers, and they're the strangers. Now, you need to understand the weight of this. Jesus is clearly bringing, yet again, another covenant lawsuit to the leaders. He's got issue. He's taking issue with them. They are the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34 who have led Israel astray. And this parable is a direct appeal for Israel to abandon the deceitful, destructive leadership of Israel and instead follow him. Don't miss the weight of that. Jesus saying these words, he's saying, I'm the king. These leaders are false shepherds who have done nothing to serve the sheep. In fact, they're the thieves and the robbers. Get away from them. Follow me. That's essentially what, what he's getting at. They only care about themselves. They don't care about Israel. And Jesus is David's son, but he's also David's Lord, per Psalm 110.1. And now he's come as this great shepherd to lead them to green pastures. Some of y'all are getting excited about spring. I noticed some of the pastures are starting to become a little green. Couldn't help but think of that on the way down from Pennsylvania this morning. Uh, it's exciting. Green pastures are great. They're luscious, but not so much for us as they are animals, of course. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking us to green pastures. The pasture of Israel, under the leadership of the, of the religious leaders, has become nothing but a pile, a pile of garbage. So this claim to be the shepherd of Israel was the claim of God himself. When you show up to Israel, first century Israel, and you start claiming to be a shepherd of Israel, you are claiming yourself to be God. Everybody knows in the Old Testament that God is the shepherd of Israel. He's the one that led them out of the Exodus. He's the one that led them out of Egypt. He's the one that cared for them and moved them as they had their encampment in the wilderness for, for, um, for so long, 40 years, right? He brought them into the promised land, the green pastures of Canaan. So if you start saying that you're the great shepherd that leads Israel into green pastures, you're claiming deity. <laughs> you're claiming to be God. And the Old Testament is not ambiguous about it at all. God himself is ultimately Israel's shepherd. But Jesus continues the story. If you follow along in your text, he's, he's, he isn't just the shepherd. He's the door too. He's the way in. Verse 7. The leaders and false messiahs who come before him, they're nothing but thieves and robbers. And Christ's sheep, quote, did not hear them, verse 8. They didn't listen. Jesus is the door. If anyone goes through him, he will be saved. And if he's not, and if, and if he doesn't, he will be condemned. And of course, those who are saved, verse 9, are taken to green pasture. Again, that's Psalm 23, the great Psalm of David about God being our shepherd and leading us to green pastures. So thieves and robbers, they try to get in into the sheephold, not through the door, but climbing walls. They, they steal, they kill, they destroy, the text says. That's their MO. That's what they're trying to do. But Jesus does the opposite. He says in verse 10 that he gives abundant life. He gives abundant life. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, and his sheep ultimately know him. Verse 11. See, the connection between Jesus and his sheep, and I want you all to hear this, the connection between Jesus and his sheep, you being not Jesus, but the sheep, is as sure and steady and true 
as Jesus' connection with the Father. He says it right in, the te- right in the text in verse 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, your relationship to Christ is as sure and steady and true as Jesus' own relationship to the Father, which is this perfect Trinitarian bond. And the reason that Jesus gives life, of course, is because he lays down his own life for his sheep. Verse 15, there are many folds of sheep, um, Israel, the Gentiles, but the ultimate aim, he says in verse 16, is to bring them into one flock, one shepherd, that is, in himself. Jesus lays down his life so that he may take it up again. No one takes the life of Christ. No one has that type of authority. We're going to get into authority later when he's standing before Pilate. No one has the authority to take his life. In fact, he gives it freely. And that's because he has authority. And that's the commandment from the Father, verses 17 and 18. And look at verse 19. A division, that word division in your text is actually where we get the word schism. Schisma in the Greek. Um, That's where we get that. A division occurred, he says. A division occurred among them among the Jews because of these words. Some people think Jesus has a demon. He's saying all this stuff. Yet other people really aren't convinced that he's demon-possessed. After all, um, demon-possessed people don't really speak that way. They're all all, um, unsure. They're nonplussed about Jesus. They don't know what to think. And the question, though, for us is this. Why would his words create division? Why would his words create division? It's not the first time that Jesus has incited the ire of the leaders, nor will it be the last. But what about these words specifically that led them to such an irritation? And the answer lies in the fact that Jesus uses these images to claim, to explain his claim to be the true king of Israel. That's the answer. He's, he's, he's insistent about it. He's intransigent about it. He's, he's obsessed with making it known clearly through these metaphors that he is the king of Israel. See, to claim to be the exclusive door, to claim to be the good shepherd, a claim that only God himself can make, is a claim to be the sole director, the sole governor, the sole ruler of the kingdom of God now present in the actions and words of Jesus of Nazareth. And we already know from the last chapter that Jesus is the light of the world. He's coming as the light of the world into the darkness, and that inevitably means judgment. It's judgment upon the darkness. Light separates and scatters the darkness. How many of you have ever been, maybe woke up in the morning, it's still dark, and and then you flip on a light? Not a pleasant experience. Um, Immediately, you sort of cower. Why? Because your, your eyes have been used to the dark, um, your, your pupils are large because there's light coming in and they need to be large to get as much light as they can. Otherwise, you can't see anything. But the moment you flash a ray of light on those dilated pupils, it's too much. It's too much and you blink and you close your eyes. And you, but that's, that's the whole point of Jesus. That's what he's doing. The, the pupils are, are there. They are sheep without a shepherd. They are trying to get light and the leaders aren't doing it, but now Jesus says he is the light, and it's almost too much. So in this case, the religious leaders, they were the false shepherds. They don't love the sheep. They don't care about the sheep. 
And thus they throw genuine sheep out of the fold. Remember what they did to the blind man. They sent him out from their presence. The light has come to expose their blindness. The light has come to, to give abundant life. And the claim of shepherd king creates division, another division, between the shepherd and the thieves and the robbers, between the shepherd and the hirelings who are there paid to, to guard the sheep, between those who would receive the word and those who would inevitably reject it. Now, notice real quick, there are three main enemies in the passage. One, you have the thieves and the robbers. They're the enemies. Two, you have the hireling. And three, Jesus talks about a wolf showing up. A wolf. The thieves and the robbers, their intention is to harm the sheep. They want to avoid the shepherd. They want to avoid the door and the guy who's guarding the, the gate to the sheep. And they want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. That's their, their mission. Now the hireling, the shepherd hires someone to stand guard there at the door to protect the sheep. The hireling, though, he's only concerned about himself. The wolf comes, and then he goes. The wolf comes, an, an actual enemy of the sheep, and he runs away. Wolves, they want to destroy God's people, and either one can be an under-shepherd or a hireling. You, you, when things get rough... Hirelings run. Hirelings run when danger comes. They run away. They don't go to the fight. They run from the fight. Their concern is first and foremost about self-preservation. They can't see past their own nose. Hirelings, they show up a lot of times in, in, in churches. You can tell a hireling because they'll show up. They'll claim some sem semblance of leadership through coercion and power. And then, and then, then when things get rough, they sort of... They, they play the victim. <laughs> Suddenly they're scared. They don't, they don't know how to do that. But when things get hard, hirelings run away. Hirelings run away. How many of us would have been too cowardly to go to the cross? All of us. Jesus was not. He went head, headlong straight into it. These hirelings are capricious, capricious cowards who care nothing about others and especially care nothing about Christ's sheep. And yet, what does Jesus do, though, that's different than the hireling? How does Jesus handle thieves and robbers and hirelings and wolves? Well, he lays his life down for the sheep. That's the difference. See, the claim Jesus makes here does not require this major theological speculation to understand. Like, a lot of times at Cross and Crown, we can get deep into some things. This, this is a very simple thing. So I, don't want, I, I want to encourage you with the passage as we you know, come to the end of it. Jesus tells us that the way the shepherd keeps his sheep safe and nurtured is like what God does in, for example, Psalm 121.8, watching over the coming and going of the sheep. This shepherd king keeps them safe, giving them a fulfilled life. That's what it means to be a shepherd of Christ. A shepherd under Christ, I should say, to be under him, the great shepherd king. See, the type of shepherd that God demands, indeed the type of shepherd that Jesus Christ truly is, is one who does not look after his own interests primarily. See, he first looks to the needs of the sheep. How do we know Christ is the shepherd king? Well, because this is how God acts towards his people. 
Jesus is simply doing what God does. See, Christ is anointed to be king, and this simply is how he functions. This is what it means to be a king. Mothers, this is what it means to be a mom. Fathers, this is what it means to be a mom. Pastors and elders, this is what it means to be pastors and elders. This is what it means. You want to be a good dad? Be like Jesus. You want to be a good mom? Be like Jesus. You want to be a good civil magistrate and govern righteously? Be like Jesus. And it's, this is so basic, this isn't even rocket science here we're dealing with. False shepherds, they, they run when things get tough. False shepherds would rather save their reputation than serve the person next to them. I've dealt with men like that at the church. Cowards who rather than serve their wife think that the answer is to oppress her. To, to instead of um, showing up and saying, what can I do? they show up and say, what can you do? And that's not, that, that's a false shepherd. That's a hireling. When things get tough, they run. And then they play the victim in this woe is me when they're the perpetrator. That's how it always works. It's, it's, you can tell that's the nature of the whole, the whole thing. See, true shepherding, listen, and kids, you need to know this. True shepherding is marked by willingness to die for the sheep. That's how you become a better husband, a better, a better father, a better person. That's how you, how you exist as a Christian. Children, you want to be loving and serving towards your, your family. This is the answer. You model Christ. You, you follow what he does. And what does he do? He dies for the sheep. See, the shepherd king, he says he has sheep that are not of this fold. That is, he has lost sheep from the house of Israel that he's after, and he has other sheep too. There, there's only one flock. We have two folds. A fold would be a division of a flock, but we have the Jews and the, with the Gentiles. And, and part of what Jesus is insisting on here is the fact that Jesus, he's the good shepherd of all men. Jesus is the good shepherd of all men. He's the savior of the world. There's no other shepherd who can lead the human race into fullness of life. The state can't do it. The state is a terrible shepherd. And the, the police state is a terrible shepherd. All of it. The, 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 it can't lead people into abundance of life. We still think we can tax people into prosperity. We, still, we have all these false shepherds, not just in the church, but out in the world too, that think that they can give you life and life abundant. But why can't they do it? Well, because the only way to lead anyone anywhere is through this good shepherd's laying down of his life for his sheep. You see, when Jesus lays down his life as the shepherd king, he did so out of freedom and he did so in obedience. He's not the victim. No one takes his life. See, the leaders think they're the ones in control, but they're actually not. They think they're going to put him to death and they think, quite they think a lot of themselves but he's not a victim of other people other people's vicious purposes and this is what I, men this is what manhood looks like it's what it looks like um, this is ladies this is what humanity looks like self-sacrifice in obedience to god is what it means to truly be human self-sacrifice in obedience to God is what it means to be human. The call of the church, of all men, of all women, all children, that's the call. Self-sacrifice in obedience to God. We are to imitate the shepherd king, following his ways, which means that we have much work to do, don't we?
Because some of us, I'll throw myself in there. How many of you this weekend struggled with selfishness? Wanting to do what I, okay, all right, a couple hands. Everybody raise your hand. <laughs> See, the, the leaders and the people, they want to quibble over words. Demon-possessed men, men don't say this. Well, yeah, they do. I've heard, you know, they want to quibble over words. Instead of heeding to what he's saying, they concern themselves with who, who is saying it. They're so fixated on the man that they can't hear the voice of the shepherd who's speaking. They're too busy talking. Some of you aren't hearing your shepherd's voice because you're too busy talking. You could be talking on social media too much. You could, be, you could be talking to your husband or your wife too much. Take it for what it is. Too much talking. Not enough listening to the shepherd. Way too much talking sometimes. And see, this is all because like seeing, hearing is governed by morality and ethics. Hearing the voice of the shepherd. See, seeing... Seeing the light of the world is governed by moral conformity to Christ. That's how you see. And so is hearing the voice of the shepherd. See, all of these folks, they lacked the moral judgment necessary because they're in the flesh. They couldn't judge righteously. They're dead. But all of that really, sort of that, we could talk for hours on that, but here's the heart of the passage. Christ is the shepherd king who lays down his life in order to give life to man. He cares for the sheep, not just in laying his life down for them, but guiding them each day to pasture. Guiding them each and every day. This isn't an experience in Jesus mollycoddling everybody. It's what King Jesus does. He nurtures us. He grows us. He expects us to follow him, to listen to his voice. And how do we obey our shepherd? Well, Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice, which means that his sheep not only recognize the voice, they obey the voice. It's not enough for you to recognize the voice. You need to obey the voice. They do what he says. See, it's imperative that all of us are listening to Christ's voice. It's imperative that Christ's sheep are listening to him. Are you listening to him? See, what happens when you find yourself despondent? What happens um, when, when the child blows out another diaper? And that's like the fifth one this week. <laughs> um, what happens when you're discouraged? Honestly, what if, what if you're just downright discouraged right now? What if, what if you are depressed and anxiety-stricken? What do you do? How does the shepherd king laying down his life help you then? And here's the answer. It helps you because listening to your great shepherd, this good shepherd, is how you get through those things. That's how you get through it. See, it, it gives you safety. It gives you protection. It gives you abundant life. It doesn't mean there are no threats. It doesn't mean that life is, is easy. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to deal with that issue, that you know, problem, that whatever you have going on right now. It means that life is good, no doubt, because it's in Christ. He secures us as his sheep forever. And part of the way out of those things, honestly, is listening to his voice and mimicking our shepherd king. That's partly how you get out of those things. There are times when we can be selfish instead of self-giving. There are times when we can be self-protecting when we really need to serve the next person next to us. There are times when you just don't want to get out of bed. There are times when you just don't want to love the person you're called to love 
and, and bear their burden because you've had it up to here. There are times where you're going to fight that, those types of things. But as the great shepherd king, Jesus Christ, he restores us to life. He restores us to our dominion calling to gather more sheep into the fold. Will we seek the dominion Christ has accomplished as the self-sacrificing king? Or will you seek your own thing? Or will we seek to dominate and use lawless power to, um, to assert our superiority? Any relationship, you can do that, right? You're fighting with your, your spouse or fighting with a coworker or fighting with a family member or something, there's always a situation where you can either you know, lay down your life and serve that person or you can try to assert your superiority. See, here's, this is the crux right here. If you're going to walk away with anything, walk away with this. We must insist in resting in our good shepherd and fighting like our good shepherd, that is, with a bleeding sacrifice and concern for others. Bottom line, we must insist in resting in our good shepherd. You must rest in him. Be content in Christ. Behold Christ. And fighting like our good shepherd, and that is, with a bleeding sacrifice and concern for others, he laid down his life for the sheep and that's what we must do. Because ultimately, we're, we're either going to follow the shepherd king and, or follow after the life of a hireling. That's why too many churches find themselves up a creek because it's all personality driven. It all hinges upon one person. See, we're, we're either going to go the way of self-sacrifice or the, we're going to go the way of self-preservation. But go we will and go we must. So I invite you, church, to consider your shepherd king. Consider his self-giving love. Consider the beauty of his great provision. Consider the way in which we follow this king into the world. Consider, consider this. Consider the glory that's attached to the laying down of his life for your sake. And then go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask and pray that we would consider the good shepherd, your son, our king, that we would glory in his bleeding sacrifice that we would imitate the same as we listen to his voice. I pray for those in need of green pasture that, that repentance would be given where repentance is due and grace upon grace given where grace upon grace is due. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to the Father through the Son and do so provoking joy and peace in us along the way. God, I know that many of us are tired, many of us are exhausted, many of us are maybe not resting well, but, but the Sabbath was, was made for man, and I pray, God, that you would give us that rest. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.